If you have your Bible, we're turning to uh, Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13, and we're going to read uh, from verse 30 through to verse uh, 33. Mark chapter 13, and verse 30 through to verse uh, 33. Mark chapter 13 and verse 30. Now, once you're there, um, if you could stand with us for the reading of God's Word. This is to honor the Word of the Lord. So we'll stand together and we'll audibly read verse 33 to 33. If you haven't a Bible, it's fine. You can listen to the words as they're read out this morning. Mark chapter 13, verse 33 to verse 33. I believe we're all there. Let's all read it together. Verily I say unto you, that this generation shall not pass till all these things be done. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. And the Father, this morning, we sense your presence in this house, and we sense your anointing, and we pray that you would help us both to preach and to hear your word. Lord, we are in great need of a word from the throne in the days in which we're living. And we know we serve a God that speaks. And Lord, we pray that you would speak this morning, but, O oh God, grant unto us ears to hear, eyes that see, and hearts that are willing to serve and to apply your word to our hearts. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your seats. Praise the Lord. I'm going to share this morning just some things that have been just over a couple of months that have been very much on my heart and just I believe the Lord has been probing and drawing and dealing with my own life. Uh, as, and I just believe it's time now to begin to share those things. I believe they're important things for us as a fellowship and uh, I want to share them this morning from God's Word. I'm going to speak on the midnight watch. You know, in the Old Testament, uh, in the Old Testament we have the minor prophets and the major prophets. Um, it's not that one was greater than the other, but these men of God would come and they had a very profound function in the Old Testament. Um, they were very unique individuals, really. Uh, but they were just simply messengers of the Lord. They would bring the message of the Lord to Israel and speak forth the word of the Lord, and they would deliver the word of the Lord to kings, to nations, to princes and to people and to individuals. Their duty was to be faithful just to the Lord, to bring forth his word. God would deliver his word into their hearts, and they would be mobilized by the Spirit of God, and they would go forth and they would stand in front of people sometimes that people did not want to hear the word. They did not want to hear what God had to say, but they were required of the Lord to be found faithful and simply delivering the word that he had put upon their hearts. One of the other words that they were known as is watchmen. They were men that would stand. They would watch. They had a responsibility to bring the heart of God and they would bring the warnings of the Lord. They would bring the pleadings of God because God pleads with men and women. And they would bring the uh, prophetic judgments that were about to unfold to the people. And also always that they would bring that there was mercy in the midst of the judgments. That God was a God that 
desired for his people to come back to himself, but he would bring the warnings and the judgments of God that were about to come. And these watchmen you'll find in Scripture, you find, for example, Ezekiel, he was a watchman. The Lord spoke to him and said, O thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman to the house of Israel. And so then he would be encouraged to bring forth the word of the Lord and to be faithful in what God had said. And there was consequences, and this is very important for watchmen, I believe, all those that are ministers of the gospel are watchmen. I also believe that if you're a father of a home, you're a watchman. I believe that you have a responsibility in the home or as a preacher or as a minister or a leader or a pastor, whatever God has called you to be, you're, you're a watchman in the home. You're a watchman for your family, but there's also the watchmen that stand in the pulpits and across this land. There are watchmen that have an awesome responsibility this morning to speak the word of the Lord, to speak what God, what God is saying to the church at this time. And so Ezekiel was one of those men, and the responsibility came because ultimately these men would be held to account if they spoke the word of the Lord and they warned the people of the impending judgment, then God would, in that sense, God would endorse them and they would be found faithful before the Lord. But if they knowing that the judgment of the Lord was coming and they did not warn the wicked, then actually what the Lord said is that then I will require their blood. Their blood will be upon your hands, upon your head. So you see the awesome responsibility of the watchman. God was requiring for them not to be popular, not to seek popularity or praise of men, or say nice words just to get people to fill seats and to fill churches. But he was requiring of the watchmen and the pastors that they would be faithful to the word of the Lord, that they would speak clearly with a clear-sounding trumpet sound that, the judgment of the Lord is coming, but also that there's mercy if you would turn with all of your heart. And the people then had a choice. You know, one old preacher said that we should preach for a verdict. And in many ways, we should. We should preach for a verdict because we are preaching life and death. We're preaching heaven and hell. We're living in the last days. We hear it just said so often. Now, we all said the days in which we're living in, what Truth shared this morning, on our doorstep and everything that's all around us. We know we're living in the last days, but we believe we're living in the last days. It's just not a cliche in the church. It's just not something good to say. And in that, then we know that the coming judgment of God is upon us. But not only the coming judgment, but the judgments of the Lord are now being unfolded before our very eyes. The nation that we are a part of is being judged by God. God is judging the nation. A dear old lady, Christian lady, phoned me just a, a few nights ago and she just simply says, Brother, what do you think? What do you think is happening in our nation that what's taking place? And as we discussed it, she says, What do we expect if we say to God that we don't want Him in our society, in our education? We don't want Him in the churches. We don't want Him in, in our lives. We don't want Him as a nation. We can only expect that the judgments of God would come upon us. And this is the result of a nation that's turned away from God, that does not want to retain God in their knowledge. And so the watchman has a very important part to play. I believe prophetically in the days in which we're living in, I believe that there's a prophetic edge of our, of our ministry because we are preaching prophecy concerning the last days. And so Habakkuk was another 
one of these watchmen, Habakkuk 2 and 1, I will stand on my watch. And he will set me upon the tower and I will watch to see and to say what he will say unto me and what I will answer when I am reproved. He waited in the place, the watchtower, the place of sobriety, the place of being alert, the place of being vigilant, the place of waiting upon the Lord, listening to what God is going to say, not what the politicians are going to say, not what the next announcement will be from Stormont or Westminster, but what is the Lord saying? What is God saying in the hour in which we're living in? So Habakkuk would stand in the watch. He would sit in the tower and he says, I will wait on what the Lord is going to say and reveal to me. And friends, if we're willing to get into the watchtower and wait, you're going to hear what God is saying. He's going to reveal to you the times in which we've come to. He's going to reveal to you his heart and how you're going to be able to stand in the evil day. Isaiah was another one, if you would turn over to it, he was another watchman. Isaiah chapter 21. In the context of this chapter, of course, um, is a time when Babylon had risen and there had been a great falling away. There'd been a captivity. There'd, there'd been great changes in the nation. And now the Lord is speaking to Isaiah as a watchman, the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 21, for time's sake, I just want to take a few verses here. But in Isaiah chapter 21 and verse 6, it says these words, For thus hath the Lord said unto me, Go set a watchman, let him declare what he sees. You see, when we're in the watchtower, we're given vision. When we're in the place of vigilance, sobriety, spiritually I'm talking about, when we're so sober-minded and when we're vigilant and when we're in the watchtower, then God begins to bring the revelation of what he wants you to see. You'll see what God wants you to see for your family. You'll see what God wants you to see for the church of Jesus Christ. There'll be a kindred spirit and the knowledge of where we are and moving forward together. And so he says, go and set the watchman. Let him declare what he sees. Let him bring forth from the watchtower what he has the revelation of. And he saw, look what he saw. He saw the chariot with a couple of horsemen, a chariot of asses chariot of camels and he hearkened diligently with much heed and he cried a lion my lord i stand continually upon the watchtower in the daytime i am set in my ward whole nights and behold here cometh the chariot of men and a couple of horsemen and he answered and said babylon has fallen this is the old testament babylon with such a emphasis and what we should understand such a, a an emphasis on the prophetic babylon of which we are looking at presently Babylon has fallen, has fallen, and all the graven images of her gods he has broken onto the ground. In verse 11, if you go down to it, then there's a call that comes out of Seir, and the cry comes to the watchman. The watchman, he says, what of the night? Watchman, what of the night? He, he calls out twice. It was like an emphatic cry. He needed to know, what is happening, watchman? What are you hearing? What are you seeing? What is the revelation that's coming to your heart in the night? What has taken place? There was a cry that's coming up. I believe there's a cry that's all around us and they're saying, what of the night? What is happening in our world? What has taken place? There is a cry amongst the people and they want to know, what of the night? What of the night? The night speaks of an hour or a time the night, remember, the night speaks of an hour of calamity, of judgments. 
The night speaks of the power of darkness, the enemy when he rises up. The night speaks of a time of distress or turmoil, a time of fear. Are you identifying with the night? The night has come. Our generation has changed. I don't want to labor the point in what we know so well in the statistics and the evidence and all the signs that are around us across the world. We see the turmoil. We see the nations are rising up. We see the lawlessness across the entire globe. We don't get it on the BBC because they don't want you to know it, but you'll see it if you're in the Spirit and you'll understand it. Now we're in a different age and a different hour. We've come to the last times. We're in the beginning of sorrows. What of the night? The cry comes out of the depths of hearts of men and women and even many within the church are saying, what of the night? What do you see? It comes by revelation as the calamity, the judgments, the enemy, the powers of darkness, the distress, the turmoil, the fear that comes in the homes and lives. Perhaps you're in this room this morning and you're just sitting and that's your cry. You're in a place of turmoil and distress. You're a believer. You love the Lord. But there is a time of distress, darkness, turmoil, fear. You don't know where to turn and your cry is, what of the night? What is happening? What has taken place? What is going on? We see the prince of the power of the air and the power of darkness. Now we see the unfolding, the unfolding days in which we're living in Can I just remind you this morning that Jesus told us that these days would come. Jesus warned us of the hour that would come, the last days, the last hour. Jesus actually told us, should we be shocked that that the Chancellor is planning a Christless society? Jesus warned us of this in the book of Revelation, chapter 13, that that's what we'll come to. But now the Christians are shocked that this would happen. We see the turmoil in the nations, the riots in Iran, Australia, the lawlessness in America. We see the rise of wickedness, homosexuality, sin increasing, the love of many are waxing cold. We see the turmoil in our nations amongst our young people. I was listening yesterday to a report in Japan. 15,000 people commit suicide every year in Japan. We see the spirit that is at work, the powers of darkness. The lawlessness. We see the fear that has gripped many. It's, the focus is not the COVID. The focus is not any of those things. It's the spirit that is behind these things. The powers of darkness that are being unleashed. And the cry comes, what of the night? What of the night the watchman gets into the watchtower? And he will wait and he will hear and he will see. And he will speak what he says. Jesus said, and I'm reading just from the amplified version, so that you understand it. But he said, be careful that no one misleads you or deceives you or leads you into error. Many will come in my name and they will mislead and misuse, appropriating the strength of my name that belongs to me and saying that I am the Christ, I am the way. Here is a new way. Here is a doctrine. Here is a new revelation. Here is another way. And they will mislead many. The deception that comes You will continually hear of wars and rumors of wars, but don't be afraid for those things, Jesus said, must take place. But this is not the end. For the nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilences. Why are we shocked? 
Why are we living in shock at what is unfolding in our day when Jesus said there will be famines and there will be plagues and there will be earthquakes, place after place, and yet we're all in shock that this has happened. And we've sat under sermons and we've heard preaching for decades about the second coming of the Lord and the unfolding events. And then when it happens, the church are in shock that this has happened. Jesus says, but all these things, listen to what he said, are merely the beginning of the, per- of the birth pangs. They're just the beginning. They're, they're, they're the beginning of a time. And listen, this might not sound a message with great hope, but will come the great hope in a moment. But he says there will be a time of intolerable anguish and a time of unprecedented trouble. Have we come to this time? Can you see it? Saint of God, are you seeing what he's saying in the watchtower? Not by just knowledge or theology, or intellectualism, but is there a revelation in your spirit? We have come to the hour. We have come to the day. But the watchman had a response. Thank God there's an answer. The cry was, what of the night? What of the night? Do you know what he says? The watchman responds and says, not of the night, but he said, the morning's coming. Not profound. He's asking about the night. What of the night? What of the Antichrist? What of the powers of darkness? When do you think the rapture is? Do we go through the tribulation? Are we still here? What of the night? What of the Christian society? What happens if everything collapses? What will we eat? What will we wear? Where will we go? Where will we live? And the, and the answer is, there's a morning coming. What of the night? And the watchman says, we know what the morning speaks of? The morning speaks of mercy. The morning speaks of joy. There's mercy. New every morning with the Lord. The, the Bible tells us that the weeping may last for a night. What comes in the morning? The joy comes in the morning. You see, with God, there's always a place that we can find of mercy, of joy, of peace, of hope, of faith, of overcoming, of victory. The morning's here. Where do we find it? We find it in Jesus Christ. There's a morning. He says, if you will inquire, listen to me, friend. If you understand the days and the times and the seasons, but you're not walking with the Lord the way you should do, he says, but if you will inquire, you return to me, you repent, that's what he means, and you seek me with all of your heart, and you'll find the morning. Who is the morning? It's Jesus. You'll find hope in the midst of a dark world. You'll find hope in a world that doesn't want to know him, who will hate us for his name's sake. But there is a place in Christ that we can go through and overcome. The watchman said, the morning's coming. Thank God the morning's coming. Thank God we sang it this morning or sang some of it or the theme of it certainly, but on that bright and cloudless morning when the dead in Christ shall rise. Christ is coming. What a morning that's going to be. He says, if you will inquire, watch man, what of the night? What of the judgments? What do you see? What are you seeing? Let me ask you this morning, what do you see? I want to share some things about what, what I see. 
And I believe that the Lord has shown us where we are, where we're living, what we're in and what we're going to go through and how we're going to go through it. You see, our battle is not, you know, with flesh and blood, but it is principalities and powers. And there's an agenda, there's a very strong agenda. Brothers and sisters, you, you must know this. And There's an agenda, this is a strategy, this is a, an end time strategy. It's, it's being permitted by God because the word of the Lord is going to be fulfilled. Every word we read at his word shall be filled. Fulfilled. We are seeing the unleashing of principalities and powers across our nation and the nations of the world is not unique to us but it is all very close to home one of the agendas that you'll note and I want to mention it this morning just for more for information but so that you see beyond the face of it and see actually the agenda is the agenda that you'll hear in political terms is called social justice anyone ever heard this this is going to come more and more to the fore it sounds really good. Our politicians, you hear them, you know, they throw this stuff out here. And, you know, I'm not necessarily a very bright person, but I'm going, what are you talking about? Anyone ever say that? Did anyone shout at the radio? No? Yeah. <laughs> Most of the time is, what are you talking about? That's what I would say. I don't get it. But I feel something in my spirit. It's not right. Social justice has been around for a long time. The idea or the ideology of social justice has been around for those who are in the politics will probably be able to explain it much better than what I can, but I certainly want to show you exactly what it is. It comes across as a very noble cause. It's the cause of respecting all men and women and Everyone is equal under the law, eradicating discrimination against people of color, mobilizing people in areas with social deprivation to get jobs and decent housing. Have you heard all the political stuff? That's the way they talk. It all sounds good. And all of that is right and proper. But I want to tell you something. There's no one greater in this earth that can elevate a man or woman out of the depths of despair and pain and agony than Jesus Christ. You know what it says? He lifts, us, he lifts us out of the dunghill, lifts us out of the merry clay, puts our feet upon a rock, and he closes in his righteousness, and we're seated with him in heavenly places. I want to tell you something this morning. Jesus Christ, he is the one. He lifts the beggar. Mercy rewrites our lives. It is Christ this morning, not an agenda by politicians, but the Trojan horse of what it is. The Trojan horse, and that's what it is is a lethal agenda against the church of Jesus Christ. I want you to hear me this morning because this, this is where we're going and this is what we're going to face and this is what will, I believe, put preachers in prison very soon. The agenda under the auspices of social agenda, but it is a Trojan horse. It's devil, hellish, inspired. You see, it's a rights agenda. Have you ever heard, have you heard anything about rights in the last few years? It's the LGBTQ and whatever else agenda. It's the transgender agenda. It's the abortionist agenda. 
It's the human rights agenda. It's all under the banner of social justice because it sounds good, but it's hid underneath all of that. And it's their rights. But the only people not to be included in this is Bible-believing, born-again Christians. Isn't that remarkable? There are people for rights, but not your right. You don't have a right to believe the Bible. You don't have a right to believe what God says in His Word concerning sin. And so there's an agenda. And what we're witnessing is, you just got to know that it's going to happen. It is happening. And the drive of probably all the political parties, and it's not so much about the politics, it's about the spirit that's behind it, is the drive through social justice. Friends, I want to tell you where it's from. It's from the pit of hell. It's the speed at which it's coming. We're simply seeing now the fulfillment of prophecies in Scripture. It is evident. Good will be evil. Evil will be good. Iniquity shall abound. We will be hated for the name of Jesus Christ. We'll be living in the days like Sodom and Lot. But I want to tell you something. The morning's coming. The morning's coming. We uh, drove through last night, uh, drove through Belfast, and I, I believe I thought I was driving through Sodom. I thought I was driving through Sodom. Hordes of young people, hordes of young people with their rainbow flags and everything else, completely destroyed by the spirit of the age, not knowing whether they're male or female, dressed up, painted up, hers, I don't know, many colors. You know, all behind that whole spirit, there's lives that are completely overcome by the power of darkness. And such were some of we. It's the speed in which we're moving. And in part, the church is responsible. I want to say that again. In part, the church, I mean us, collectively, we're responsible. It's been on our watch, but we haven't been in the watch. It's been when we should have been in the watchtower, sober, vigilant, in prayer, praying and believing and prayed up and praying against the powers of darkness. We've been asleep. Yes, we've been busy, but we've been asleep. And the church has lost its savor. And the church hasn't been the light. And because it hasn't been the light, then the absence of light gives way to the power of darkness. And we've become worldly in so many ways. And we thought we can get up just like Samson, like other times and great moves of God and great revivals where the power of God was so mighty upon the church and we can get up and pull the gates of the wall. But we get up and we've realized that we don't have the power that our forefathers once had. It's not that the power isn't there. It's not that the Holy Ghost hasn't changed. It's not that Pentecost isn't real. It's not that Jesus has changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But we have been so clever that we can do it. We can do it on our own strength and we can do it with our talents and our gifts, but we don't have the anointing to do what he did. Because he says you can do the works that I have did and even greater works than this. That's what he said. And so we become worldly, not just in how we look. You know, the focus of how we look is, is a red heron. It really is. 
It's really nothing to do with how we look. You know, I'm thankful that I was brought up to respect the, the Lord's day. I can remember as kids, and my mum would set out the clothes and, and we'd get the wee, wee small, wee brown treasures and a wee brown flowery shirt and big, big collars. Remember those days, the good old days. It all comes back in again. We should have held on to it, but that's what it was. But what it was, it wasn't just about how you dressed. It was the fact that this is the Lord's day. And this separated this day from every other day. And now we've made it that, oh, it's the size of your hat or everything else. has nothing to do with how you look. It's to do with the fact that this is the Lord's day. We separated the day. This is different. This is a different day. Because this is the Lord's day. And we're going to the Lord's house. And that's how I was raised. And that's how I live. And so we've got all these red herons in the church. But what has happened is we've stopped preaching the cross and the blood. We've stopped singing about the blood and singing about the cross, about a heaven. Oh, thank God we're singing about it this morning, about a heaven, about a home, about a mansion. Also about a hell. The theologians have, have done a real job in that one. Now we have churches that are filled with unsaved men and women and now with pulpits that are filled with unsaved men and women. And is it any wonder that you see great movements, great mighty denominations that were birthed in the Holy Ghost fire, completely swallowed up in the age in which we're living? For example, the Methodist Church in Great Britain. Why? Because there's men and women in the pulpit that aren't saved. You're judgmental. Friends, I want to tell you something that's actually far from the truth. And so we've seen the church fall asleep on the most important watch of history. The last days. But did he not say there would be a great falling away? But friends, the morning's coming. The watch of the New Testament is repeated and taught by the Lord often. The watch, the watch, the watch, the watch. We read this morning in Mark chapter 13 and verse 33, Take heed, take ye heed, watch. What does he say? Watch and, for you know not when the time is. Watch and pray. And all of our knowledge of the hour, Yet something is missing of the fervency for prayer. It's like we've gone cold. Can I say something, friends? I'm cold. It's not that we don't pray. It's the spirit of prayer and the warmth and the fire and the fervency in prayer. You feel the cold of the hour. You feel the coolness of the darkness. You see the backsliddenness and the waywardness and the disinterest. That's just in the church, by the way. Jesus is speaking, and what does the watchman say, and what does he see? He says, watch and pray. Take heed. 
for you know not when the time is. In Matthew chapter 24 and verse 42, Jesus said, Watch therefore, for you know not what hour the Lord is coming. Matthew 25 and 13, Jesus said, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man will come. Matthew 26 and verse 41, Jesus said, Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh is weak. The body is weakened. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 1, But of the times and of the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you for yourselves, know perfectly, way, perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh like a thief in the night. For then they shall say, Peace and safety. Then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child. They shall not escape. He said in verse 6, Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch. Let us be sober. Peter says, but the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober. Watch unto prayer. Watch. Waking up. Get out of sleep. Get out of slumber. Get out of worldliness. Get out of the spirit of the age that clings to us. Get out of the influences that will pull us away from the things of God. Influence. Test the spirits. Stay in the Word. Keep in fellowship. You need to be in fellowship. You need to be amongst God's people. You need to be here in prayer and fellowship and breaking of bread. These is what, this is what the church continued steadfastly in, in the early church. And if we believe that we're going to overcome in the last days with the last church, then we need to do what they did. For they're the ones that turn the world upside down. Watch. You turn over to Matthew chapter 24. This is known as the Olivet Discourse. It's the greatest teaching on end times that you'll ever come across. Better than any book you'll ever buy in the faith mission or any other bookstore, including Harmony Christian Books. But this is the greatest teaching that you'll ever hear on eschatology done by the greatest man that ever lived. His name's Jesus. He's seated on the Mount of Olives. And he's about to teach them eschatology is the study of last things. The doctrine of the last things. You know, there's so much debate upon the last days. <clears throat> There's so much debate on the last days. There's so much controversy in the last days. I heard a preacher recently say to his congregation, if you are not a pre-tribulation, secret rapture Christian, leave this church and go and find one that believes what you believe. He may have just asked Jesus to leave. I do believe that we need to approach it with some humility to know that I certainly respect those that believe in a pre-tribulation secret rapture. I'd certainly res respect that doctrine, but friends, I want to tell you, 
we're about to see the greatest teaching on the end times in Matthew 24 and 25. And he never mentioned pre-tribulation rapture, post-tribulation rapture, mid-tribulation rapture, premillennialist, amillennialist, historist, or anything else. And you might be saying, what's he talking about? I don't really know myself. <laughs> but as one old preacher said, if you ever hear anyone saying that they know everything about the end times, they're lying. Because it is with humility that we approach the subject. And we respect that there can be differences. But if you're washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, born of the Spirit, and love the Lord with all of your heart, then you're my brother, and you're my sister. And I pray that you'll respect what I would preach, teach from this pulpit as what I see and what I believe. But I don't claim that I'm right I claim with conviction in the light that I have, I'll preach it and believe it. There is a sense that some believe that as Christians that the Lord would not put the church through a time of tribulation, the last tribulation or the great tribulation. The Lord would not do that to his bride. I beg to differ. And the reason why I differ in that is for a number of reasons, not just scripturally, but also the idea of the church suffering is distant from the Western church. We don't suffer. Brothers and sisters, I know sometimes it can be hard, but we don't suffer. We don't honestly get Christian concern, get Asia Link reports, find out what it is for a suffering church in prison and bonds shedding their blood and dying for the faith this morning. We don't suffer in that sense. The church in its greatest moments has gone through times of suffering. We just don't know our history as we ought. I've mentioned it before, but one of the great books that I believe that every Christian should read is outside of the Bible, of course, is the Fox's Book of Martyrs. But they suffered. They suffered. On the 16th of October, 1555, you might say, what has that got to do with me? I want to tell you what it's got to do with you. The reason why you're sitting in a wee church here this morning with the liberty and the freedom to drive here, walk through those doors, pray, praise, lift up the name of Jesus, listen to the word of God and break bread and freedom and liberty is because of men that I'm going to tell you about that went to the stake on the 15th of October, 1555, and we're still living in the good of their sacrifice today. But we don't know these things. We take it all for granted because we're wrapped in a world of materialism. We shouldn't suffer. Now, if you believe that the church is raptured before the tribulation because you see it scripturally, I totally respect that. But if you believe it because you don't think that the Lord would have his church to suffer or go through suffering, I want to tell you something, friend. You need to look again. As these men stood before Bloody Mary, Queen Mary, challenged, brought before the council to denounce their faith, put their, their trust and their hope, as it were, in the Pope at that time, these men would stand against the spirit of Antichrist in their day. 
The cry of one was simply this, O Heavenly Father, as he was tied to the stake, I give unto thee most hearty thanks that thou hast called me to be a professor of thee even unto death. I beseech thee, have mercy. Have mercy on this realm of England and deliver her from all her enemies. As the flames come up, Lodimer and Ridley, Lodimer looked over to his friend Bishop Ridley and he says, Bishop, be of good comfort. Mr. Ridley, play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. That candle still flickering today. Why do we believe that the Western church, the Laodicean age, we shouldn't suffer? Where has this idea come that we don't pay a price? Do you know how it's come? Because we have taken the cross out of the gospel. We have said, come and get saved, but don't carry a cross. Don't die to yourself. We have made the narrow way broad. We have made it easy. And we've contravened the scriptures. And so now there are literally hundreds, if not thousands of people that sit in pews that have simply perhaps just said a prayer, but have never, never been born again of the Spirit of God. And many will say to him on that day in Matthew chapter 7, verse 23, Lord, but we did these wonderful things in your name. And he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Because they simply said a prayer. But they were never born of the Spirit of God. That's why they'll never come to a prayer meeting. They'll never give the missions. They'll never sacrifice their life. They're living their life for themselves. But when you're saved and you're born of the Spirit, you live your life for Christ. And Christ, who is your life, when He shall appear, we've made it so easy. Oh, Tim, you're not, you're not very merciful. You're judgmental. You're harsh. I want to tell you, friend, it's so far from the truth. But I tell you, one of the worst things that can happen is for a man or a woman to sit through church all their life and on that day, they stand before the great judge and they were never saved because a preacher never preached the truth and the watchman never told them. The watchman never warned them. The watchman never pleaded with them for their soul. He played games to fill seats and to fill pews and to get tithes and to get offerings, to feather his own nest and to build his own barns. But friends, I want to tell you something. It's all for the fire. Matthew chapter 24, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, verse 3. The disciples came and they said to him, How often have we preached this? Tell us when shall these things be? They're referring to, of course, the destruction of the temple that took place in AD 70. What shall be the sign of your coming and the end of the world? Now you remember we've already read it this morning that Jesus said very clearly, but of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels in heaven, but my Father only. That there was a very clear teaching of Christ that no man knows the hour, yet 
If you listen to many teachers on end times, they know everything. That's why we come and approach it with a sense of humility because we're finite. He's infinite. We're respectful in that context, but we must know that He is coming. The teaching of Jesus on end times had a particular theme. We've already looked at some of the indications, the signs, this, the, the sin that will arise, the, 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 the turmoil in the nations, nation rising against nation, and all the, the, the mechanics of what we're seeing today. Friends, beyond the realms of the, the pandemic and everything, what is happening is that there is a joining together of a one-world Babylon system politically, and in and, and every type of way, environmentally, socially, politically, financially, health, and, and even on the whole climate thing, they're talking about climate justice. They're all coming together as one world order. It's antichrist. That's what it's about. If we start just focusing on one thing, we're going to miss the bigger picture. The context of Matthew 24 and 25 is Jesus begins to unfold to them and reveal to them the apocalyptic events that will take place that indicate that are the signs of his coming which we are now witnessing. Do you see it? Watchman, what of the night? Do you see it, friends? Whether you're saved or not, I actually believe the Holy Ghost can give you the ability to see what's happening. You might have been taught it as a child. You've heard it before. But God, the Holy Spirit, can illuminate your mind that you can suddenly click and see it's the last days. Jesus begins to refer and show them what is happening. But I want you to get the teaching that he brought concerning eschatology. You know, he said that the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven were given in parables. So if you want to know what he's teaching, he would often do it with parables. The Pharisees, with all their education, their theology, and all their laws, and all everything of what they had, they couldn't understand what he was saying. Why does he teach in parables? Why does he talk about a lost coin? I mean, we've been studying the law. We're men of great renown. We're great theologians. We're great rabbis. And here your teacher, he's teaching us about a lost coin, a lost lamb. How can we understand what he's saying? And Jesus says, you'll find the secrets of the kingdom in the parables. And so what does he do? He finishes off in Matthew 24, verse 43, after the apocalyptic events and the signs of the age and the coming of Christ. He simply begins to speak to them in parables. But what's the teaching about? The first one's the parable of the good man of the house and the thief. You see, if the good man had a known, if he had a known when the thief was coming, if he had been alert, if he had been watchful, if he had awakened up instead of sleeping, he would have watched and his house would not have been broken up. Then Jesus said, Be ye also ready. He goes into the parable of the wise and the evil servant in Matthew 24 and verse 45. 
The faithful servant is serving the Lord. He knows his master is coming and so he has a job to do. And so now he begins to serve. He is faithful in what he's, what he's been called to do. He's found faithful in the house and the things of God. But then there's another man, he's called, Jesus called him the evil servant. Actually, he called him a hypocrite. Jesus said he did not live, in this sense, sorry, with, with, with eternity in mind, but he knew that Jesus was coming. You see, I believe in this house this morning that every person in this room knows that Jesus is coming again. You know he's coming again, but you know what the evil servant said? He said, the Lord has delayed his coming. So that gives me a license. I'm going to live the way I'm going to live. You see what Jesus is teaching us here? They knew that he was coming. Both servants knew that the Lord was coming back. One was faithful. He's coming. So I need to be faithful in what he's called me to do. I need to be faithful. Whatever my hand finds to do, I'll do it with all my might. But the evil servant knew that he was coming. But you know what he did? He simply said, well, he hasn't come today. And Tim, I've heard you preach that a few months ago. And I've heard that maybe a few years ago. And see, when I was a kid, I heard someone else preach that. I think the Lord's delayed is coming. Do you know what that gives me a license to do? Listen, I'm young. I can sort of live my life the way I'm going to live it here because the Lord's delayed is coming. The Lord's not coming. We've heard this old preaching before. We've heard this second coming stuff. We've heard this heaven and hell. I hear people mock about heaven and hell. I hear people mock about there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you know where it comes from? It comes from the parable of the wise and the evil servant. The one that we're talking about because the evil servant thought he's not coming back. I can just live my life the way I'm going to live it. And then he comes. Then he comes. He says in verse 51, he shall appoint his portion with the hypocrites. And that's then where the phrase comes, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, the church actually make a joke of this. People laugh about this. I don't think it's a laughing matter. And then he breaks into Matthew chapter 25. It's the parable of the ten virgins. So in the, in the teaching of the end times, Jesus began to bring forth truths from parables. He didn't once mention anything but these truths of being ready, being watchful, being alert, being faithful, being true, being alive, having oil in your lamp, and keep it burning. Because at any moment he's coming. But we know the story well of five wise, five foolish, all had lamps, all went to meet the bridegroom, but there was a separation of the groups, and it was simply oil. And while he tarried, waited for the appointed time, they all slumbered, they all slept. Verse 6 speaks of a disturbance. I'm coming to a close in a minute, but if you've heard nothing, I do want you to hear this bit. Verse 6 speaks of a significant disturbance that wakened them all. There was a cry at midnight. I believe that that cry, brothers and sisters, is the cry of the intercessor. I believe it's the cry of watchmen and women in the place of prayer. 
I believe it's a cry and a groan in the spirit of men and women before the Lord in the midnight hour beginning to travail because they know the Lord's about to come. Do you know what it did? Do you know what prayer will do? It awakened them all. I'm praying, I'm believing for a mighty awakening. We need an awakening. We need an awakening in the church. Would you say amen if you believe it? I hope you're not offended by that, but I put myself first in this, by the way. We need an awakening amongst his people. But we need an awakening on these streets. As those young people walk those streets, completely overcome by the powers of hell and darkness, not knowing where to turn, who to turn to. Looking on the outside of though they're having a great time, I want to tell you something, I know they're having a miserable time because I run those streets too. Wrapped up in their flags or whatever they want to wrap themselves up in, but seeing the inward man, they're completely tormented. Don't you think for a moment they're having a great time? But we need an awakening. It was the midnight cry that disturbed the sleep. And folks, we need something to disturb this sleep. We need something to disturb this sleep. You know, Nehemiah, when they seen that the walls were coming up and the breaches were being stopped, it tells us that Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites when they heard all of these things, they came together and they conspired all of them together to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Can I tell you something, friends? I say this to the glory of the Lord, and I mean this. People can take it whatever way, but I know what way I mean it. The Lord has blessed this work tremendously. He has blessed every department and every ministry in this work. Do you know when I look around, do you know what I just see? I just see God's blessing. He's blessed the work. He's blessed the ministries. He's blessed the people. He's blessed the families. He's blessed us with the building. He's blessed us with another building. He's blessed. I just look around and I go, God, you're blessing this. This is the Lord's doing and it's wonderful and we're seeing the fulfillment of all that God has for us. But when they seen the walls coming up and the breaches being closed, and this is where the Lord began to deal with me in the past couple of months and tug this heart and say, don't let things slip. Because we could all very easily just go into activity mode. We have tremendous giftings, talents, people, wonderful. I want to tell you something, friends. We're blessed. We're blessed with the people that are here. We're blessed you're here. We're, blessed. we're a small fellowship, but we're a family and we love one another and we're blessed because of that. There's a unity in the spirit. There's a sense of strength. There's a great heart. There's a harmony. There's a kin. Am I on my own here, by the way? Am I the only one who thinks this? Maybe I got this all wrong. I actually believe this. You may think, really? You believe? Yes, I do believe this. You know, I hear so many things. Honestly, and sometimes I just have to be quiet in certain meetings that I'm in because I go, my God, 
We are so blessed with the people that we have. We're blessed. But I want to tell you something. When Nehemiah seen those walls coming up and those breaches being stopped, that was a time when the enemy joined together and was going to hit them harder than he's ever hit them before. They conspired all of them together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to hinder the work. I love verse 9. I love Nehemiah. You know what he said? You love him too, Richard? Praise the Lord. I'm glad someone responded. <laughs> Verse 9, you know what he says? Here's what Nehemiah said. Nevertheless, it's a great. I mean, the enemy, they're all joining together, the whole heap of them. And Nehemiah says, well, nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God and we set a watch against them day and night because of them. We set a watch. He set the watch. You see, I want to tell you, friends, that means there has to be a proactive decision, focus, discipline, perseverance that says, I want to set the watch. The night's coming. But there's a morning, even in prayer. We can find a place if we set it, it's a watch. I am convinced, I believe it to be true, I think it was Wesley said it, someone can correct me, that God does nothing outside of, in response to the prayers of God's people. That's a powerful statement. Wesley said it. I didn't say it, but I, I think it's a good statement. I believe it to be true. I believe that God has responded and blessed this work because of the prayers that have gone up over the past 16 years. Some of them away back in barns up around Dremore with the ceiling falling down and 10 days of prayer and fasting. Just a few of us together seeking the Lord, praying. It looked as though there was no answer. I want to tell you something. Stevie, he's answered it. Just a few of us in an upper room or in a living room. David, he's answered it. Six or seven years with no soul saved. Then Brent saved. He's answered prayer. Now he's a soul winner, running out in those streets. I want to tell you something, friend. God hears and answers prayer. But we set the watch. We set the watch. We set the watch. You understand what I'm saying? I want to labor it. Sorry, and we're near up in time. We're over time probably as usual, but we, we set the watch. The beginning of all of this was all about a place of prayer. Well, Brother Clendenin, when he came, preached in our school barn. I think there was 11 of us. He left Times Square Church of preaching to two or three thousand people. Took the flight out of New York, flew through the night. I picked him up in Alder Grove. He came down the wee barn in Balnehinch. 
shows me the caliber of a man. That he's not really interested whether it's 3,000 or 4,000. But he'll come and preach to us. In Balnehinch. In a school barn. And he said these words. And he said it everywhere. He said it often. And he said, may this place become the upper room of Ireland. What's he saying? He's saying, set the watch. Watch is set for prayer. More than anything else, I believe, we need to set this watch. We set it on Sunday mornings to prepare our hearts. used to be 10. I know it's 10.30 now, but I, I just, listen, I'm not interested in putting anyone's arm up their back, but I tell you, friends, we need to pray. We need to prepare. We need the anointing on the gift. The gift is not going to see us through. It's the anointing on the gift that sees us through. We pray not because we're trying to create a religious duty or some type of, oh, look at us, we're praying. We pray, we pray, we pray because we're setting a watch. We're about to move across down this ramp. It's really close. I say it every Have you heard that before? We're really close. We're nearly there. We're nearly there. It's just the lines there. I just feel like jumping or get my head over or something. But we're nearly there. And the Lord's been good, hasn't he? But I know we need to set the watch to go there. We had the early morning Friday prayer meetings that dwindled down to a few, and I understand people who work commitments, and I don't want to see anything when we see prayer meetings go and everything else increase, then we're getting something wrong. I want to tell you that, friends. It's good, but when prayer goes, we can really keep on doing it, but eventually it's going to collapse. But I know in prayer, God brought these words to me about the midnight watch. The midnight watch. He brought it to my heart. I shared it with the leaders about a prayer mission before we enter in there. A prayer mission. A prayer mission as we enter in, but a prayer mission. There's many missions today, but we need a prayer mission. You know what that is? It's believers on their knees, fervently in prayer, seeking the Lord. And pounding the gates of hell and darkness and believe in God for many, many harvest of souls. We need to pray. One of the things that the Lord has put in my heart is that we need to set a midnight watch. Midnight is important in Scripture. It's a significant time. At midnight, you run the reference through, you'll see midnight is an important time. Every Friday night, every Friday night, 11 o'clock through the midnight, when we move over here, every Friday night, we're going to meet to pray. I believe this is going to be an important prayer meeting. Not just for the work here, but it's going to be a place of prayer for the nation, a place of prayer for the souls of men, a place of prayer for the church across these islands is going to be a place of prayer to seek God for revival.
we're going to set the watch Friday night, Richard, at 11 o'clock. <laughs> You're all right? That's good? I'm glad you asked because it gives me the opportunity to repeat it again. <laughs> Isn't it great to be in God's house? <laughs> Praise the Lord, brother. 11 o'clock, Friday nights. A few weeks' time, we're going to start it. Oh, but here, I know what happens. I know what the enemy does. I know what life does. Listen, if you're sort of around our age and above, staying up to 11 o'clock is like... You know what I'm saying? Well... (laughs) But we're going to set the watch. We're going to get out of bed. We're going to wake up. We're going to get our focus. And we're going to set the watch. And we're going to pray. Because I tell you something, friends, with this work going forward, it can only go forward on its knees. We're going to set the watch. Set the watch at home. Set the watch in the church. These prayer meetings aren't put on. I can tell you now that everything was in me. If you think that I put on a 10.30 prayer meeting on a Sunday morning, 6 o'clock, 1 on Sunday night, and any other prayer meeting, just to sort of fill out the calendar a bit to make it look good, you really don't know what this is about. May this house be a house of prayer for all people. We need to set the watch. The hour's late. It's the midnight hour. The king's coming. We need an awakening. That awakening comes when the church prays. When the church prays. God, give us oil in our lamps and keep us burning. Alert Sober, vigilant, watch, watch. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, this morning we just ask for your word, every word that is of you to penetrate into our hearts. And may there be much fruit that comes from it. Every word that is not of you may it fall to the ground and may it die. The Lord, this morning we are asking for the spirit of prayer and supplication for your help to come. Lord, we need you more than anything else. Lord, we do not want to create meetings for meetings' sake or to fill up our time, but Lord, we want to get into a new place in prayer. Lord, we pray that you would draw us. We pray that you would prepare our hearts. We pray, Lord, that you would stir us. Lord, we pray that you would, Lord, awaken us, O God. You would stir those embers that there be, Lord, as it were, Lord, a place, Lord, on fire for God in prayer. Lord, we want to take ground, Lord. But, Lord, we need your Spirit, O God. Lord, we need the Holy Ghost, Lord, to stir our hearts, Lord, to bring us into that place, O God. Lord, we ask today that there would be a determination in our hearts. There would be a focus on what those things which are essential, O oh God, for the day in which we're living. And, oh God, I pray that you would consecrate the place of prayer, that watch, Lord, the watchtower. Lord, may this watchtower be set up in this house, O oh God. Lord, not just for Balna Hinch, Lord, but may it be a watchtower, a place of watch for the nation and for the island, O oh God. 
Lord, we know, Lord, you're not concerned with numbers, but people, oh God, that get into a place in prayer with you. So, Lord, we pray that you would help every man and every woman and every young person and every boy and every girl. Lord, we pray, giving you thanks for the privilege of prayer. Lord, that you would stir our hearts, oh God. Oh, Father, we pray, Lord, that slumber would be taken from us. Lord, we pray, oh God, that coldness in heart, Lord, would be warm today. Lord, we thank you that there is a morning that we can turn to you, Lord, that we can be revived in our spirits, Lord. Lord, you can draw the backslider back this morning, oh God. Lord, you can renew those that are cold in heart. Lord, you can set us ablaze if we're willing to turn to seek you with all of our heart. So God, this morning, we just ask that you would take your word and may it penetrate deep into our lives and into our hearts. Lord, we ask, oh God, stir us, Lord, to pray. Set the watch. Nevertheless, we set the watch. Lord, we pray we'd set it for this work. Set it, Lord, for the ministries that are going forth. Set it, Lord, for your people, O oh God, for the harvest of soul and a great awakening in these, this island, O oh God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together this morning. Praise the Lord.